I'm Nuri Martinez-Keel. And I'm Kayla Branch. You're listening to The Source. We're revamping the Oklahoman's main news podcast to bring you in-depth analysis and behind-the-scenes conversations with our reporters over their most impactful stories. We'll release new episodes every Friday morning. We are your hosts. Again, I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel, and I cover education. I'm Kayla Branch, and I cover county and state government and issues of poverty. Thanks for joining us. This week, an investigation continues into former OU President David Boren. Oklahoma City counts its homeless population. And 2019 was a landmark year for the LGBTQ community. But what lies ahead? We have reporter Nolan Clay joining us. Nolan broke the story last February that former University of Oklahoma President David Boren was being investigated on allegations of sexual harassment. The university investigation is over, but almost a year after the first story, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation is still looking into Boren. Nolan, it seemed that for years there had been rumors about David Boren. At what point did those rumors turn into actual allegations? Well, David Boren, it's a sad story to begin with. I mean, he was uh, loved by students. Uh, my daughter and stepdaughter went there. They called him Debo. He was very popular. But there have been rumors uh, for years. Uh, and after he uh, uh, retired, uh, people started coming forward, one in particular. And uh, that started a, an investigation that uh, at OU, an internal investigation that we didn't that nobody knew anything about for a long while. And then last February, I started hearing that they were, that a law firm that OU had hired was uh, interviewing people, and we were able to break that story. Now, uh, President, former President Boren has insisted that this is all instigated by his successor, uh, Mr. Gallagher, who's now was president for about 10 months and is no longer president. And they got in a spat, and uh, uh, but anyway, it's moved on to the OSBI, and we did a story uh, this week, uh, and we heard that uh, OSBI was asking questions of some people, including some prominent people, and it kind of looks like they're just going down a list and checking off. Uh, some of the people they interviewed were people that had been interviewed by the law firm who had told the law firm that nothing happened, but the OSBI went back to those people and just kind of double-checked. And and uh, so we'll see where it goes. It may go nowhere. And could we get just a really brief look at what some of the allegations have been against David Boren? Well, the allegations of sexual harassment uh, have kind of morphed into whether it was sexual misconduct, whether he uh, grabbed... Uh, uh, male aides or male students inappropriately in a sexual manner uh, and there's also some allegations about maybe he promoted people that were unqualified to positions in exchange for their cooperation and this uh, but again he's denied wrongdoing uh, and uh, the law firm issued a secret report where they detailed uh, that there were six witnesses, six men, who uh, who basically described encounters with Boren 
that uh, the law firm uh, detailed again and, and to the regents. And Boren, who was president emeritus and was still had a teaching position, although he hadn't exercised it, and still had four free tickets to OU football games and uh, had an office, he gave all that up to end the personnel matter. But that hasn't ended what the OSBI is doing. Yeah, and the ramifications are really interesting. And like you said, he basically severed his relationship with the university. But what other ramifications have we seen, especially in terms of, um, you know, he was a beloved governor and the students really liked him. Is that still the case? Well, you know, a university is a constantly evolving uh, place. And, uh, you know, the current students, uh, some of them were there when he was still there, but I think they've moved on. Uh, And OU, in a lot of ways, has moved on. And some people... Uh, suggests that everybody should move on. But the OSBI is investigating, and it may go to a grand jury. It may not. There's also a vice president that, uh, that a former vice president that is under investigation. Now, part of the reason we did this story this week was that the last word we had heard was in October when they issued a uh, search warrant involving the former vice president and I'd had people over and over ask me was it over has Bourne been cleared there was a rumor that he'd been cleared at one point in December in fact I was driving down to the OU uh, uh, Baylor game the Big 12 championship where OU of course beat Baylor and and uh, I had to make a call that day as I was driving to see if this rumor was true that they were going to issue a news release clearing uh, Boren, and it wasn't. But those been, there's been those kind of rumors. So once we found out they were interviewing people, including you know, a former governor, the House Minority Leader, the OU Athletic Director, uh, uh, aides, former aides, uh, we did a story. And then we did a subsequent story about uh, an internal audit of his uh, personal residence west of Norman, which he calls Windrush, and it's kind of a farmhouse, ranch house, and he'd had work done there by by uh, OU employees, landscaping, facilities management, technology services. Now, he'd been paying as he went, but this internal audit uh, found that he hadn't been, uh, he hadn't paid for everything because he hadn't been billed for everything. He'd been partially billed this one time, and not build it all twice, and so they they build him. He paid four thousand three hundred and ten dollars, uh, and and that hadn't come out till till we found out about it and reported it this week. That landscaping and technology work that had been done was while he was still president of the university, correct? Yeah, yeah. It'd been his last nine years as president, and he had you know, and some people say it doesn't pass the smell test that a that a president should use, uh, you know, private private companies to do work on his property so that it doesn't look bad. Again, he was paying as he went along uh, a tidy sum, $47,000. But that arrangement does lead to problems, uh, as this one showed, because he didn't get billed for everything. I don't know why it doesn't say why he didn't get billed uh, completely, but he didn't. And... Uh, and there we go. Yeah. And 
one thing that I think is interesting is, you know, this all came out, like you said, after Boren had retired. Um, but it kind of put Oklahoma on a national scale with the same kind of conversations that we saw with the Me Too movement, right? Um, men in powerful positions um, with allegations of sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. Uh, and so where did we see OU and Oklahoma on the broader national scale in terms of these conversations and people um, looking to um, OU administrators and uh, state officials to deal with this? Well, it is in the it is in that broader context of the Me Too movement uh, where it hasn't resonated quite so much, although the first stories I got, everybody in the country was calling me supporters and and critics of him and just saying this or that, it couldn't be true, or I've always suspected this. But uh, where it hasn't come down yet in the, in the national consciousness is that we don't know uh, – yet what the final result will be. If he gets charged, I mean, it's going to make, I mean, they may be talking about Bourne in the same breath they do with uh, Penn State, but if uh, he doesn't get charged, then it's just a, a bump in the road. Uh, people want to talk, when they think about OU, they want to talk about OU football. They want to talk about whether they should have made the playoffs or not and why they keep losing in the playoffs. And and Lincoln Riley, and, and but, I mean, that's the conversation nationally about OU. Will this uh, will this come up again and and become more of a in, of a, a topic of conversation in context with the Me Too movement? Just have to see. You touched on this already, but a lot of people might have assumed that with the original story coming out almost a year ago and not as much news in the months since that the story is over, that the investigation is over. So could you touch on some of the recent developments, but also why has this become such a lengthy process? Well, investigations tend to be lengthy, particularly when they're going back years. And the other thing is that the OSBI isn't doing this in a vacuum. They're investigating cold cases. They're investigating murders. They're investigating officer-involved shootings. They're helping this police department, that police department, and uh, it it takes a while to uh, to get to get anything done when you have an agency that has limited resources. They have a good director over there. He's he's tried to get more money and has gotten some more money, but he only has some uh, uh, some limited resources. And any investigation tends to take a long time. Well, Nolan, uh, we really appreciate your time and are looking forward to um, staying up to date with you on the Bourne investigation and and watching as you continue your coverage. have been by here this week oh, oh, to tell the camp members that we're going to be out here uh-huh. this is what it, yeah so this is the so they they and this is a well-known camp mm. okay so i'm going to turn over to kayla now uh, for those of you who don't know we are recording this on a thursday morning and and this morning kayla joined a city-wide homeless population count my first question for you, Kayla, is 
how early did you get up this morning? Okay, so <laughs> my first alarm was set for 2.45 a.m. Oh, my gosh. Um, I woke up a little bit before that, though, because I was so stressed out about sleeping through my alarm. Uh, so, yeah, 2.45 a.m. is when I got up. Uh, met with a, about 80 volunteers, I think, at 3.30 a.m. at the Homeless Alliance, which is a day shelter in downtown Oklahoma City. And we met there and joined in with our different groups, small teams, and got in vans and headed out across the city to count folks who um, were experiencing homelessness in this past night. And in our division, I guess, in the morning, our purpose was to find folks mainly who were unsheltered. So people sleeping in tents or in sleeping bags um, outside of buildings or in tree lines throughout the city. So take us through what you saw this morning. What was your experience? Yeah, so like I said, we were in a van, um, and there were five other people on my team. We were Team 9, and we were driving through the city, and we had specific uh, locations that we were headed toward. And we're not supposed to be sharing exactly where those were, but these were uh, different homeless encampments that had been found previously. So um, they were big spots that uh, we had seen folks at, and they said, you know, go and and check these out. So we drove around um, to these specific locations, would stop, get out of the van and uh, walk up to a tree line, for instance. Outreach workers. Good morning. Hello. That was the first uh, location that we went to. And um, you could kind of see the outline of tents and things. And so uh, the folks in my group would call out, you know, outreach worker. Good morning. Is anyone home? And uh, then they would go up. And if people were... Uh, in the tents, some of the tents were empty. Some of the locations didn't have any people. Um, but if there was, was someone there, they would ask, you know, sorry for waking you up, but would you be interested in doing the survey? We have, um, you know, uh, bus tickets that we can give you. We had goodie bags that had uh, socks and gloves and things. Um, so we did that for about three hours and we hit a lot of different locations and then we just did a lot of driving around and um, finding people who were walking you know at 5 a.m and asking are, are you you know where did you sleep last night and, and depending on what they said uh, we would tell them okay well we have the survey that you can do and uh, it was uh, one of the women in my group described it as an eye-opening experience and I think in total we got about 11 people to take the survey which I was told was pretty good and it's hard to find the uh, unsheltered homeless population in the city so 11 was good Um, and the woman who told me it was eye-opening said that this was her first time and she had never seen you know exactly where these people live she knew people were experiencing homelessness but had never um, been close to it uh, herself. Going into the camps was very eye-opening and makes me want to do more. Yeah. Like I know that I can contribute more um, in some kind of way and it's very humbling. It just makes me realize that there are a lot of people out there that need help and you, you never know, you know, you don't know their story, you don't mm-hmm. know their history, so you don't know what led them to this point. Right. And, and so don't stereotype or pass judgment on someone. 
So when you talk about the survey, what is it that you're asking them? Yeah, so um, it's a, a series of different questions, um, and part of it is to just gauge their uh, length of homelessness, kind of the reasons why. So there were questions about uh, mental health, substance abuse, um, disabilities, uh, if they had ever experienced domestic violence, kind of, you know, what led them to be homeless? Because the point of the count is, one, just to do a count, to figure out, you know, how big Oklahoma City's homeless population is, and uh, experts say that um, depending on the number that you get, you can probably multiply that three or four times to get the actual number of people experiencing homelessness. Um, And then the second biggest reason I would say is that you want to find those factors and barriers. What is actually keeping people from finding housing in the city so that uh, service providers can better address those issues and hopefully end homelessness in the future? So by nature of their situation, they obviously aren't as easy to be found. They, they don't have an address. They don't have a location on file. How do you manage to get an accurate count of a population that is transient? Yeah, I, I think the answer is that you kind of don't. Um, it's it's definitely an estimate for sure. I mean, um, the numbers are going to fluctuate a little bit and there are a lot of variables that impact that. So if it's really, really cold outside, um, most people might have found somewhere indoor, like an abandoned building or um, the city's shelters. Some of them participate in a cold weather contingency plan. And so if it gets below freezing, people can go to shelters. So that can help, but it also may skew some numbers if someone is chronically living outside, um, but they're in a shelter this night. You know, that can be a, a factor. Um, lots of different things. So it's not going to be completely accurate, but it's the best way that people have found to still uh, kind of assess that population. So my first question now is how many did you count, not you personally, but the group count today, and what were the results of previous homeless population counts? Yeah, so this morning, and there wasn't ever a a time where we all came together and said, this is exactly what happened as groups were still kind of rolling in. Um, We finished, I think it was around seven this morning. Um, So like I said, we counted 11. Other groups were coming in saying that they talked to six people. Someone said they did 10, and other groups said nine. So I'm assuming um, last year, I believe the uh, unsheltered homeless population was maybe around 80 or so. Um, So I'm assuming it'll probably be pretty similar to that. And one of the things that has really been a focus lately is veteran homelessness. Uh, And so they've been addressing that and that number has continued to decline through the years. And last year, the population was close to 1200, I believe. And uh, that has been an overall decrease. It was a small increase over um, 2018. But overall, in the last decade or so, homelessness in the city has been going down. Now that they're starting to get these results back, what is Oklahoma City doing to address the issue of homelessness, the issues that put them on on the streets in the first place? Yeah, so that was something that came up uh, in my team this morning, kind of, you know, how do do you all feel about what the city's doing to address homelessness? And people are saying they were uh, really excited and happy about um, the steps that have been taken. Like, if you look back at MAPS 4 um, that just recently passed in December, it's got $50 dedicated to affordable housing, which is one of the um, largest contributing factors to homelessness is people can't afford to have homes. Uh, So that uh, people are really excited about. And I think, too, just the... uh, 
discourse has been, I mean, really focused in on homelessness. I think people are talking about it more, especially elected officials are really giving the um, issue attention. There are some state elected officials that have been focused on it, too. Um, So I think people are feeling good about um, it being a priority to address homelessness. Um, And in addition to just housing, um, MAPS4 also included uh, money for a diversion hub uh, for people who may be going to jail and instead need mental health or substance abuse treatment. Um, There was also money for mental health and substance abuse treatment in MAPS. Um, So that's going to be something in the coming years that I think will hopefully make a difference. Well, Kayla, thank you for taking a break and and talking with me about this. I'll let you go drink some coffee and get some (laughs) sleep later on. Sounds good. Thanks. web editor Siali COC with us to talk about developments for the LGBTQ community in Oklahoma City. Siali, we jumped at the chance to have you on the podcast because you are usually busy with the Oklahoman's website and not uh, always getting the chance to write content. So we're really glad to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Siali, this week you wrote a story and reading through it, it seemed to be twofold. You look back on the progress from 2019 and then what we could see in this coming year for the LGBTQ community. What were some of the major accomplishments for the community in the past year? And and could you just go over why those were so important? Sure thing, yeah. So we had a pretty, I'd say, notable year in LGBTQ news. Um, We saw Mayor David Holt make a formal Pride Week proclamation. I mean, like, the festival and the parade down there has been going on for decades, so it was a pretty big deal for him to make a formal, you know, he signed a proclamation and declared it Pride Week. Um, We have... Councilman Cooper on the city council, so there's representation now. He was the first ever openly LGBTQ person to be sworn in, and that was last year. And then uh, most recently, we have um, gender identity and expression protections were approved for city workers. And what that did was just update the city's personnel policies for um, essentially transgender employees, but that means now we have people who identify as non-binary or gender non-conforming, so it kind of encompasses all of those identities. Um, and that was really important, especially for Councilman Cooper, because he was the person who sponsored that resolution. So I'd say those were the pretty, I mean, there are obviously other big things happening in the community all the time, but those were three big ones. Definitely. And one of the things that you kind of hinted at in, in your story was, I mean, you know, Oklahoma City has not been a community um, that has really embraced these issues in the past. And, you know, there um, has been a history of discriminatory policies and attitudes towards people in the LGBTQ community. Um, and so you've, you highlighted a lot of those changes um, that have been happening more recently. But, you know, do folks still face these issues even subtly? Um, and, and what changes do folks in that community say still need to happen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, people still face, you know, discrimination. And like I said, this uh, most recent resolution that updated the city's policies is just for city employees. So like we saw in Norman, just 30 minutes south, they did a citywide ordinance that encompasses, and you wrote about that, so that was mm-hmm. like housing mm-hmm. protections, right? Yeah. And so that was a citywide ordinance, and when I talked to Freedom Oklahoma and other advocacy organizations, they said maybe that might be ahead for Oklahoma City, since it was just a specific thing for city employees. Um, but I mean, there are a bunch of things that are 
still happening. We started the year off with a transgender man in McAllister, Oklahoma, being shot to death. So, I mean, despite all of the progress last year that we saw in 2019, um, it's still hard for these, you know, communities, especially in rural areas, because we see a lot of progress in Oklahoma City. We see a lot of progress in Tulsa, um, Norman. You know, I mean, when I moved here to Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City area in like 2012, there was pretty much 39th Street, the Hilo Club. Um, and you really couldn't do anything or you really wouldn't find a lot of other LGBTQ friendly spaces beyond that. And now you can go to the vegan restaurant down the street over here, the Loaded Bowl, and there's a drag show there pretty much monthly and, and p- at pizza shops and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. So, Siali, I want to ask about 39th Street specifically. You mentioned in your story that that is a kind of gathering place for LGBTQ people in Oklahoma City. I wanted you to explain a little bit about the importance of that area, especially with it getting upgrades this coming year. Right. So, yeah, 39th Street is historically called the Gaberhood. Um, Okay. (laughs) Right. So that's where the majority of the city's gay nightclubs are. And the gay bars, that's where the LGBTQ fri- uh, pride festival is traditionally held um, and the parade, which is one of the, if not the biggest in the city, one of the biggest in Oklahoma City. Um, and yeah, so they're going to get some upgrades this summer after pride. So um, I believe they're going to start in July. And that is a city sh- uh, streetscape project that was approved as part of the Better Streets, Safer City initiative a few years ago. And now they're finally getting things organized and they'll have upgraded lighting they'll have better sidewalks this is what i was told by the officials over there and officials of the city it'll just be a more inviting more welcoming sort of district because like we've seen with the plaza and the paseo those districts didn't really start like that they you know were built up and they had investment and you know they're getting funding from the city they're getting funding from property owners in the district so they expect to see a pretty significant change in coming years. Once construction starts, they said probably, hopefully less than a year. And if I can ask a follow-up question on that, I don't know how much of the history of 39th Street that you're personally familiar with, but has that been in the past, especially in past decades, a section of the city that's almost forgotten? And is this, uh, are these upgrades almost a, a measure to acknowledge the how meaningful that area of the city is, especially given the successes of the Paseo and the Plaza District and, and the revitalization we've seen there to have that come to 39th Street? Is that is that also meaningful for you? Right. Yeah, I think that it just shows progress, especially in Oklahoma City, like I said, because it's it is a district that kind of has been ignored, um, and we don't really look to it when we think about our big districts in Oklahoma City. Maybe we think about, um, you know, Bricktown. We think about Auto Alley, and we think about you know all of those those districts that have been established and they've got signage and they've got branding. But 39th Street, I mean, it has branding. It has its own sort of quirks, but I think they're trying to broaden that, and they th- they're also trying to what what the officials there told me. Um, they're trying to broaden that scope. I mean, they are the LGBTQ district, but they also have auto body shops there. They've got a neon sign shop, I believe. Um, they have had some dispensaries there, but I believe that at least one of them has closed. So they're trying to, you know, expand, right? Um, but I think that it'll always be home to the city's LGBTQ community. I mean, I think that most of us look there and we think that's where we feel safe. That's where we can go and be ourselves. And, you know, as far as the history there, 
there's a nightclub called Angles that is now open six nights a week. It was formerly like a special event space. They would have pride stuff there. Um, but for decades, it was like the premier club. And, you know, they would have artists like um, <laughs> the Weather Girls. They sing It's Raining Men, right? So, like, they would have big acts like that come through. Um, and Angles also sued the city, I believe, probably two decades ago. And um, I think they were getting raided. Um, it's a complicated history. So the city would do raids at Angles. Um, they filed a lawsuit, and I believe they won. And the extent of that I'm not really too familiar with, but I know that Angles, 39th Street, super significant for the LGBT population here. And um, it'll be exciting to see what happens. Definitely. in the coming year so definitely and just a quick note here at the end and um, one piece that you mentioned in your story um, was a potential for state legislation in this upcoming 2020 session um, and again there was a bill filed to prohibit conversion therapy and um, that did not make it into committee last year but it's been filed again so um, we will keep our eye on that and uh, Sally thank you so much for joining us today and discussing your story yeah absolutely take care Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in The Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.